Hello, hello. Welcome, welcome. It is seven o'clock on the money. <laughs> you guys ready to start? Yes, yes. <laughs> well, welcome to the 2023 Cherished Community Women's Conference. We are so, so very thrilled that you guys have given us the opportunity to love you well. So that is the heart behind this conference. And so we hope that you leave here knowing that you are just that, that you are loved and cherished by God. So I'm going to get through some of the um, little details here to start with. And then I'm going to give a little short intro to our weekend. But you guys should have received a lanyard when you walked in. Did you get one? Yes. yes. Okay. On the back. There's a schedule. Now for people like me, I need it to be about a foot longer so I can actually read the type. <laughs> I didn't account for over 40 eyes, so there, you know, sorry, sorry about that. Anyways, the schedule is there so you can see what is happening. Um, you will notice that there are a handful of ladies that are wearing pink tags, like mine. Raise your hands. Pink tags. These women are available to pray with you at any time the need arises, okay? So look for the pink tag. So I'm excited to announce that we have 15 churches here collectively. Yep, represented tonight, yep. So I'm in conversation with several local churches to do this in the future. So I'm really excited about that to come together and have a much larger community women's event. So we are um, trying to support local churches. Uh, local Christian ministries, local Christian vendors, which you guys see, we have some tables over there, um, Christian artisans of all sorts. Um, so everything that you see here has been made by, written by, or catered by a Christian woman in our community. So that is super awesome. So again, you know, it's my hope and my desire that we can share resources together um, we don't need to reinvent the will every time, and just so that the body of Christ is strengthened and encouraged, right? So um, in its present ministries and also in its perspective ministries, so we want to encourage one another. Because again, my belief is that we can reach more people if we do it as a community, right? Yes? Okay. All right. So again, we have several vendors with us tonight and tomorrow. Again, our aim is to encourage them and support them. So please go over and visit those tables um, tonight during dessert, tomorrow morning, and Talk with them about their wares and let them tell you their stories. So they're really neat. Um, there are some things in your gift bags that they have made. So I'll tell you about those things. So again, you're going to find things in your gift bags that were tailor-made just for you. So again, if words of affirmation was your love language, you will find a handwritten card in your bag. Okay? <laughs> so... Everybody's looking. Was it me? Did I put that on my sign-up? <laughs> so and let me pause and say here, too, that if there is something in your bag that you do not want, there are three little baskets underneath the check-in table, and you can just put that right in there, and we'll give it to somebody else, okay? Are we good? Okay, because I'm sure somebody will eat your chocolate. Okay, <laughs> that's just all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. So again, we have made every effort to make sure that you are loved. We've brought people in to serve you. There will be a couple of handfuls of gentlemen here to serve you lunch tomorrow. We have set time aside for quality conversation, and we're going to give lots of hugs. And I had so hoped to point out one of our attendees that's not here yet, but I'll, I'll point her out later, because if she comes in to hug you, you might as well just settle in. 
You're going to be there for a minute, so <laughs> let her do it. <laughs> so additionally, you guys are going to find a journal and a pen to take notes because you guys know that Sarah will blow our minds with the scripture. And so again, you want to have lots of places to write those things down. So most importantly, okay, is everybody listening? Yes. Okay. You will find a slip of paper with your name written on it and a love word written on the back. Everybody's got one. Okay, if I didn't know your name before you came here, it'll just have a word on the back, okay? You have to keep it for something that I have planned for you after communion tomorrow. Repeat after me. I am not going to take my tag home. I'm not take my tag home. <laughs> okay, I'm holding you to it. I'm, gonna, I'm watching you guys, okay? Okay. <laughs> so you need to keep that here at your place. So just put it up in the front so you don't accidentally put it in your bag and take it home. Okay. So again, something else, throughout our time together, you're going to find little stacks of cards on your table. They're going to have little questions on them. Our first one was three interesting facts about yourself. Have you guys been filling those out? Hmm. Hmm, yeah, see those people that haven't did not answer. Yes. <laughs> so again, they can be super fun things. They're just things for you guys to get to know each other. I always put really silly things on mine. Uh, should I say? Because my table will be able to guess me. Okay, I'm going to tell. I always put on mine that I have more tattoos than my husband. <laughs> the stupidity of being 17. All right, there we go. And then <laughs> I have like 36 animals. Two dogs, the rest are chickens. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. <laughs> but I always get the same response out of everybody. Like, really? Wow. Okay. She's one of those. Okay. So, um, so those tables, again, you guys are going to find those cards. So what I want you to do is fill them out as you get them, turn them upside down in a pile. And then if you do not have a designated facilitator at your table, because there's too many tables for me to have facilitators everywhere, um, put somebody in charge of gathering those cards and then you know reading the content so again put somebody in charge who wants to be in charge i'm sure there's one of you at every table <laughs> i'm sure of it i'm sure of it now don't be fighting just pick one okay rock paper scissors okay so beverages can be found on the beverage bar in the foyer okay so again i think that we have caffeinated and decaffeinated coffee yeah i don't know where's my where's veronica i don't know okay you can figure it out. It's out there. Okay, good. Um, so with that said, <laughs> the bathrooms are also in the foyer. Okay, out the doors and to your right, if you didn't see them when you walked in. We have commandeered the men's bathroom. We have scrubbed it and disinfected it. <laughs> yes, we have. Yes, we have. Okay, good. So with that said, please, my lovelies, refrain from getting up during the sessions. We are live on YouTube. And again, we are recording. So if you guys would refrain from getting up, do your very, very best from getting up during the sessions, I would just so appreciate that. So, okay, you ready to get to business? Get to the important stuff? Okay, let's do this. <laughs> so when you registered for this conference, you were asked to select a word that described your greatest need, right? Okay. So some of you guys said that you were in want of nothing that your love tank was full. And we praise Jesus for that. We love that. That's what I want from all of you. I want all of you to say that your love tank is full, right? But the majority of you <laughs> selected a word 
and then went on to describe the ways that you felt unloved, unseen, unheard, unwanted, unappreciated, unworthy, unclean, or unfulfilled. So, you know, again, while the sum total of your life is unique to you, this room is filled with women that feel just like you. Right? There's a lot of you. Okay? This book contains countless stories of women who feel just like you and who have experienced things just like you. The world has left them feeling, again, unloved, unseen, unheard, unwanted, unappreciated, unworthy, unclean, and unfulfilled. And so from the third chapter of this book, it records their pain and their suffering, their heartaches and their losses. So while your life might look not look exactly the same, your innate needs, your innate needs are common to man. Everyone, every human being desires the perfect relationship, right? The relationship in which they are fully known and fully loved. Everybody desires that. And you want to know how I know that? <laughs> because that is what was lost in the garden. When sin entered in, the perfect relationship exited the building, right? It left. And then, again, man was separated from God. And self, self with all of its ambitions and its desires, entered the relationship between God and man and between husband and wife. And then it permeated all of humanity, right? But in that same chapter... A healing narrative begins. Praise God. It's a book of broken people whom God redeems and restores, right? From the very beginning. So a moment ago, you know, I said that this book is filled with accounts of women just like you. Just like you. So I want to begin tonight by bringing three well-known stories to your attention to prepare your hearts for this weekend's teaching. So the first, love had failed the Samaritan woman. The path she traveled <laughs> led to the same place with the same outcome every day. The vessel that she carried was as empty as her heart, right? The weight of it, as heavy as the sin that she bore. Four marriages had failed her, right? Because we know she wasn't married to the fifth. Friendships were absent. They had left her wanting. So again, the disappointment that she experienced time and time again was as deep as the well she was trying to draw water from. Deep, deep. So whether she had been repeatedly rejected for no fault of her own, or whether it was on account of her own choices, she was alone. She traveled to the well in the heat of the day because, as you guys know, she was deemed unclean by those who were around her. The Samaritan woman was unloved, unseen, unfulfilled, isolated, and alone. And undoubtedly, she had nothing left to give anyone. So when Christ asked her for a drink, <laughs> she was reluctant to grant his request. She was the one who was thirsty. She was the one who was thirsty, and yet here's another person trying to take something from her. 
But Jesus knew she had nothing left to give, so he says, okay, let me give you something with no strings attached. A gift. If you truly grasped, if you only knew the gift I have for you and who I am, you would ask me and I would give you living water. In essence, if you accept what I have to offer you, you will never feel unloved, unseen, unwanted, unworthy, unclean, unfulfilled, rejected, isolated, and alone ever again. Because I love you. Because I see you. You are worthy of my love. I can cleanse you. I will fulfill you. I accept you. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. She replies, the well is deep. Where are you going to get that? (laughs) As if to say, how is that even possible? How are you even going to accomplish that in my life? Don't you know what I've experienced? And again, her reply indicates her distrust, right? So in many ways, the Samaritan woman had accepted her lot. She had experienced the same thing so many times that she stopped believing that things could change. She had come to accept that she would never have a fulfilling relationship or friendship again. Can you relate? But Jesus went out of his way to find her, did he not? He took a long journey around to find her and to accomplish this in her. And so he will go out of his way for you. Another woman lived her life in servitude to others. And she was valued only for the duties that she performed. Her needs went unnoticed. The desires of her heart went unmet. She was treated poorly by those who should have loved her. Caught in the middle of her master's faith crisis, (laughs) she was used to fulfill their desires. Used and abused. Hagar felt unseen. Her mistress never spoke her name. Never. Never spoke her name. (laughs) Again, valued only for the duties that she performed. She longed to have a place. She wanted to belong, to be favored. But instead, Hagar felt undervalued, unappreciated, unimportant, and insignificant. As the meaning of her name attests, Hagar felt forsaken, isolated, and alone. And again, she had been repeatedly cast off and forgotten. Can you relate? But God sees when others do not. He is El Roi, the God who saw Hagar, and he is the God who sees you. My last example is of a woman about whom we know very little, but whom we can speculate, speculate desperately, desperately wanted to be loved. It's the woman caught in adultery. So regardless what her motivation was, she had unmet needs. So she went out in search of love that would fill her emptiness. So this is what we do know. She was willing to do whatever it took to receive the love she so desperately desired. And again, I say this because the penalty of adultery was death. 
So whether she had done it once or a thousand times, she was willing to risk her life to obtain it. But perhaps if she had known that she was more than an object to fulfill men's lusts, Perhaps if she had known that she was wanted and valued and cherished by God, she would not have made the choices that she did. I can relate. So in the account, the adulterous woman was left to bear the shame and humiliation of her choices alone. Again, where was the man, right? And then Jesus intervenes and he protects her from herself and he shields her from her accusers. He equalizes her sin with their sin. (laughs) He loves her instead of of condemning her. And that was the ticket that she needed to leave her sin behind. In that moment, the adulterous woman knew that she was fully known and fully loved. So these women, again, they are all cherished by God. And he went out of his way to make sure that they knew it. He gave one a gift that she didn't deserve, right? He told another that she was seen. And the last told her that she was not condemned. He said exactly what they, he said exactly what they needed to hear. He did exactly what they needed him to do. He spoke their love language. And they walked away changed. So it is our hope and our prayer that you will also personally encounter Jesus through this conference. That you will come to know and experience the width and length and depth and height of his unfathomable love for you among women who are just like you. Amen? Amen. So now I'd like to introduce Luke and Kate Sipley, if you guys will come on up to the front. All righty. So Luke and, Luke and Kate have been serving in youth ministry here for about three years, and Luke has been our youth pastor for a little bit over a year. Is that right? A little over a year? Yeah. Okay. Kate is our children's ministry director in training. Yay! <laughs> They've been married for two years. They have a pumpkin baby named Afia that's 15 months old. <laughs> so, and again, their calling to serve the Lord is exceedingly obvious to everyone that interacts with them. But while they may be killing it in other areas of ministry, worship might be their God-given superpower. (laughs) Yes, I am so excited. So you guys are in for a serious treat. No pressure now. Okay, yeah. (laughs) So let's worship. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for this wonderful weekend. God, may you soften all the hearts in this room. May your word land on soft soil. Bless everyone in this room, Father. God, may we just be children who sing praise to you, spirit and in truth. Bless this weekend in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can stand or sit and worship.
unforgiven because you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again I sing amazing love Amazing love, how can it be that you, my King, would die for me? Amazing love, I know it's true. It's my joy to honor you in all. forgiven because you were forsaken and I'm accepted you were condemned and I'm alive and well your spirit is within me because you died and rose again joy to honor you in all I do. Help me honor you. Bending beneath 
This next song, amen, we get to reflect from that song of how he loves us, and now let's praise him with Jesus, we love you, because we only get to love him because he first loved us, so let's stand up, let's lift our hands in worship and sing Jesus, we love you.
worship. God, I pray that you will prepare our hearts to receive your word. God, would it be soft soil. We love you. We thank you for your love. We praise you, and may you continue to bless this night. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much. What a blessing. So I first saw Sarah speak at an Esther's Table event, and I think it was 2015, I think is what we decided on. Is that right? Yes, you're over here. I'm like, and she's gone. Okay, 2015. And I know, I mean, and of course I know now that I'm standing here, but I knew without a shadow of a doubt then, it's like the Holy Spirit told me, number one, that our paths would cross again, and that we were intended to have a very special relationship. And I knew that then. And it was so weird because I'd never even seen her before that, before that night. And here we are. So I just, I love that. So I am so, so very, very, very excited to welcome our very anointed friend <laughs> to come and speak with us tonight. But first, I want to read to you her very extensive bio. Good work, good work, okay. <laughs> Sarah has been full of joy, beauty, and passion since she was born in Dallas, Texas 40 years ago. I was born in Dallas. You know, you know what they say, right? Um, American by birth, Texan by the grace of God. All right, all right, yeah, okay, okay. Growing up in a Christ-centered home led her to desire more than just religion, but a relationship with Jesus at a young age. 
Faith came easily to Sarah as well as communication and influence as she matured. Even in high school, Sarah was a sought-out leader and communicator to capture the attention of students and faculty. She leaves a lasting impression upon a first meeting. So true. Sarah has a love and knowledge of the Word of God like few in her generation. She attended Passion One Day in the year 2000 where she was called into lifestyle ministry. Knowing Christ and making Him known marks every role she plays as wife, mother, counselor, and ministry leader. Her vibrant and vulnerable articulation of the Christian journey connects with the hearts across, connects with the, hearts across the country. She has served, spoken, and led for several ministry efforts, including J.H. Ranch, Willow Creek, Passion City Church, Catalyst Conference, North Point Community Church, University Christian Fellowship, National Christian Foundation, many local ch churches across the U.S., Heart for Africa, and MOPS groups. Sarah's ministry, Establish Her, became an official nonprofit organization of Georgia in 2012. Sarah has been teaching the Bible and designing defense for women to experience Jesus for nearly 20 years. Uh, the intergenerational community of Establish Her has grown immensely over the two decades as women long to be rooted more in Christ and his truths. Establish Her exists to create beautiful settings where women can personally encounter the living word in the written word whether it be through events, small groups, dinner experiences, one-day conferences, or private weekend retreats. Through, through the truth of Scripture and her passion, passionate, humble articulation, her ability to inspire many to hunger for his righteousness, Sarah is recognized as a budding bright teacher and orator for such a time as this. She lives in Peachtree Corners with her beloved husband of 10 years, her joyful five-year-old son, her beautiful three-year-old daughter, and her treasured Australian shepherd. She is involved at Peachtree Corners Baptist Church as her home church. So in addition to Bible studies spanning decades, a YouTube channel, a podcast, she recently published her first book this past November entitled Establish Her, The Journey to an Abundant Life in Christ, available on Amazon. <laughs> Come on up, my friend. Come on up. <laughs> Y'all, I turned 41, too, so those stairs are hard. <laughs> That's why I was sitting down there. I'm like, I'm not going up these in front of everybody. Um, thank you so much, Julie. Gabriel, are we good? Is that volume good? My hair's not good. Hold on one sec. Um, I really, I just, I'm so humbled and honored uh, to be here any chance I get to be in the presence of women, ultimately in the presence of Jesus, I don't want to be anywhere else. And so I know that you know he is here. And that's the most incredible thing for me to be a part of, is to help Julie and her team facilitate just that, an encounter personally and intimately with Jesus. That's what I need. That's what I believe you need. That's what I know Jesus wants us to have. So we are going to dive in. Um, and let me just tell you, if you haven't heard me teach before, um, you are going to use your notebooks. You, you are definitely going to write. Uh, our main passage will be in Ephesians 3, but we are going to be all over the scripture. So sometimes I will have you turn there. Sometimes I will have you not turn there. But I'm happy, if anybody ever wants any of my notes, y'all, I'm happy to give those to you. Um, I firmly believe in the inerrant, all-authoritative Word of God. 
old and new, as one consecutive book. And so to bring to life Ephesians 3, which is our main passage that we're going to dive into tomorrow, I have to lay the foundation that I believe God wants us to, to sit in tonight. And to do that, I want to read to you a scripture verse that I personally believe God gave me for each of you as I had been praying for you. And this scripture verse just revolutionized how I was praying about this weekend when I read it. And that's the powerful thing about the Word of God. You can read it cover to cover and never see something that you then go back and see it and it lands. It's the living Word of God. And so praise be, y'all are not here to hear my words, okay? Nobody is here to hear my words. We are here to hear His. And so I want to start off with just this verse that I had been praying and that I believe God is going to activate into reality tonight and tomorrow. It's 2 Thessalonians 2, 13. Listen to this. You don't have to turn there. Write it down if you're a note taker. For this reason, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. Ladies, he has got an agenda. He wants to perform a work in you, in me, this weekend. And that is the power of fellowshipping with a living God who spoke living words to transform us, to bring us from death to life. And so I pray and I, I'm asking him for your ears to open, the eyes of your heart to open, that you would receive his message as what it is, the word of God, the truth, not my opinion, not my anecdotal stories, but his truth because that is the only thing that will ever mean a hill of beans, okay? That's the only thing that will ever transform us is an encounter with this. And what's so powerful is that this book, right, as Julie referenced, and the stories in it and the, the truth in it, this is a means to an end. Because even Jesus himself in John chapter 6 told them, you search the scriptures thinking in them there's life and yet you won't come to me. My heart and my desire is to take you into the word of God here that you might encounter the living word and that we would come to him. This is a means to an end, that we would encounter the living word and the written word. Many of y'all, if you grew up at all in the South, you grew up at all in church, you're familiar probably with the book of John. And John chapter 1, verse 1 through 5, opens up giving us the title of Jesus as the Word. And he's been since the beginning, right? He was, he is, and he will yet be. He is the Word of God. And I want to read this to you because it just so ties in, as only the Holy Spirit can do, with the worship with even what Julie said. Y'all, none of this was rehearsed, okay? None of the, we have, I have not met Luke and Kate. I mean, I've had coffee with Julie in her house once, and then we had a gluten-free dessert with our husbands in her house. God is just at work, okay? He is doing something already, knitting threads together that only he can do. Listen to John chapter 1 as we kind of open our time together. In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God. Notice when you read it, W is capitalized. That's important. And the Word was with God. Verse 2, He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So let me just stop right here. Every single one of us has found ourselves in this room because of the Word of God. He has brought us by His willing, His choosing, His designing into this very moment. We're going to read here in a minute that He formed you and He knows you. and we're going to, You're going to get so sick of hearing that you're known. You're going to want to put a zipper over me. But that is what He wants you to experience, that you're known. But not only has He formed you and known you, y'all, He's brought you, 104 of you, by name, into this room for just a time as this. Because in him, all things come into being. And then it goes on, it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not overpower it. In a room this size, I would be foolish to think that everybody is in the light. And so I don't know what darkness you sit in. I don't know where you are in your journey with God. I don't know if you know him yet or not. But let me tell you something. He knows you. And his desire and his heartbeat is to bring light and bring life, to breathe over you wherever you are. And so that's what we are going to ask him to do in our time together tonight and in our time together tomorrow. So, Heavenly Father, I surrender to you. And I ask you to do what only you can, to take words on a page and breathe them into life, into the hearts, into the stories, into the tears, into the victories that are represented in this room. God, would you so personally speak. Jesus, remove me aside. Make me invisible, God, that you might be visible and audible to the heart of the hearer. And Lord, let us believe your word is true, despite what we think we know or what we think we understand or we don't understand. God, let us put all that aside and believe your word and what it is that you say about us, and what it is that you say about you. So we surrender to you, Father. It is my joy to honor you, and it is an amazing love that we're going to be talking about. And so I say yes to you, Father, in all that you're going to do, in the powerful, loving, all-knowing name of Jesus. Amen. Y'all know the difference, or maybe you don't, between knowing God and knowing about God. Those two things are entirely different. You can know about something and not really know something. A lot of people can spend a lot of time and, and very important beneficial time in, in learning about God, knowing about God. But I find it interesting that I'm not sure we spend a lot of reflection on thinking and sitting in the fact that he knows us.
I spent much of my life longing and studying and desiring to know God, to love him with all that I am and all that I have. And those things are still very much a part of me. But he flipped a switch for me a long time ago. And I'll get a little bit deeper into my story tomorrow. But he flipped the switch that said, Sarah, instead of focusing your effort and your thought process on how much you know about me, have you ever stopped to think how much I know about you? That I fully know you. That's the first part. Then he chooses to love us still. Right? He fully knows us and loves us. You've got to complete the whole sentence. Y'all, we know a lot of people that we don't love, okay? In fact, Facebook says I have 5,000 people that are friends of mine. I mean, are they? Like, no. I don't, I don't know those people, okay, on Facebook. I've got some dear, dear friends on Facebook I'm friends with. 5,000 people don't intimately know me. I don't intimately know them. There is a difference between knowing and knowing about. And there is a difference in kind of relishing in and reflecting on I am known. It's not about what I think I know, or frankly, it's not about what you don't know. Sometimes in settings like this, it can be daunting and maybe a little unnerving because maybe you're, you, you don't know yet if he knows you. Maybe you don't believe that yet. If you are in that place, you're welcome here. You're in the right spot. Maybe in this room you have journeyed with him and you have known him to the depths, but you've never really stopped to put all that kind of quieted down and say, Lord, I just want to relish and reflect on the fact that the God of the world that's keeping the earth on its axis knows me. He knows everything about me. He knows the things I don't want people to know about me, and he loves me fully. When we begin to live with that perspective, everything transforms. You see, the subject of the sentence is no longer me and you and how much we love God, though that is viable and important and beneficial and part of growing in faith. The subject of the sentence is Jesus. Oh, how he loves us. That is where I want us to reflect. And that's going to be hard, potentially, for some of you. And that's okay. Sometimes it's hard to receive being fully known. Sometimes it's hard to receive and believe that you're fully loved. And that's okay. He's big enough to handle all of those wrestlings. And we're going to walk ourselves through it all weekend long. So, I want to take you through some scripture verses. Because I don't want to give you my opinion I don't want to give you a Christian antidote like Kate so beautifully said that yes, we're familiar with God loves the world, but does he love me? Does he know me? Well, you know what? The scripture says he does. And so that's where I want to take you. And the first one is Jeremiah 1 verse 5, before you were even formed in your mother's womb, he knew you. K-N-E-W. Now, here's the powerful thing about the Bible. The Bible was not written in English. 
It was translated to English, thank the Lord, because don't, we don't, can't read Hebrew and Greek. But the initial writings of the Scripture in the Old Testament was Hebrew, and the New Testament was Greek. Now, I was talking to Trinity, Julie's daughter, earlier, and she's really good at Spanish. She's, she's majoring in Spanish and teaches Spanish. Anybody else bilingual in here? Okay. Let me just say this. The English language is, is not as colorful, I'll say, as other languages. The English language has one word for love, am I right? Trinity's in here. She could, she could probably talk about this. When you're teaching English as a second language, it's very difficult, I'm sure, to explain that to someone that's going, okay, you love ice cream and you love your husband. You say that's the same word. Well, yeah, but, but it means something different. Hebrew and Greek are entirely different than English. So we're about, I'm just going to give you a very amazing quick lesson in what no means in the Hebrew and in the Greek. Because here's what I think is going to happen. The color TV, okay, well, no one tell me how old you are, but if you were raised in the generation where there was not color TVs, we got some of y'all in here, TV was a great invention, right? But color was later. Black and white was around first. I just let my kids watch the initial first Wizard of Oz. It's a little weird when you think about it. But I just let them watch the, the original one with what, Julie Garland. You know how it started? Is it Julie Garland? Is that right? Yes, okay. Um, and it starts in what color? Black and white. And then what happens about halfway through when this whole thing's going on and my daughter's like, what is happening? I'm like, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe we shouldn't watch this. Well, now she's going to be Dorothy for Halloween, so it all worked out fine. But the whole thing is cycling down, and the, the, the house lands, and she opens the door, and it goes from black and white to what? To color. That is what these definitions, I believe, can do for you. That's what they've done for me, to go, Lord, I want to understand what it means that Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I was even in my mother's womb, you knew me. What does that mean? It sounds so religious and ethereal and up here, God, and bring it home to me. Oh, watch, he will. The Hebrew word used throughout Scripture, but especially here in Jeremiah 1.5, is the word for yada. Yada. This is what the very first definition of yada is, to experience. Now, when we think back in English for a second, what comes to your mind when you hear the word know? If you know something, the first thing I think of is just a cognitive, I know it. I learned algebra, I, I learned how to spell, I know that. Right? My son's in kindergarten, he's learning new things, he's coming home, he's like, Mom, yep, I know that. It's here. The last thing I would think of is, is an experience. Wow, keep going. The next definition, this is straight from the Strong's Concordance, which is, which is where these words come from. I love my Bible, a lot of people ask me what I use. This Bible has these words in it for you in the very back, a whole entire concordance of Hebrew definitions and Greek definitions. It goes on to say this, listen. This is the word for know in Hebrew, used here in Jeremiah, and I'll show you another place where it's used. It's going to blow your mind. To perceive and intimately acquaint oneself with another. 
more than mental, but in a relational state. This word carries in it a complete, ultimate, vulnerable, intimate knowledge of someone. You know where else this word is used? Genesis chapter 4. You know what happens in Genesis chapter 4? Adam knew Eve. I'm not here for the birds and the bees, but y'all can spell that out. And depending on your translation, it says Adam had relations with Eve. That's Yadah. Before the foundation of the world, before you were ever in your mother's womb formed by the God, the creator of all of life, he intimately, vulnerably, in the most powerful way, knew you. That's powerful. You're not a thought in his mind. You're more than that. You, you were intimately crafted in everything about him. Yada. Now, over in the Greek, where we're going to get into tomorrow, into the New Testament with Paul, this is so powerful. I can't say this one as well. Epigenoskos. Okay? It's this long. Just e pig nos kos Just spell it that way. Epic, epic, you know, whatever. It's just that. e pig nos kos Okay? Greek scholars would laugh at me, but I wrote it as e pig nos kos Listen to this. This is so powerful. To fully approve and understand. He knew you. He knows you. He fully approves you. Now that carries a lot of different weight than know in English, K-N-O-W. That hits a little different. He fully approves me. It goes on to say, Greek definition, to notice attentively beyond cognition. It it's carrying with it in this word that you're knowing the heart, the inner being of someone from conception all the way to completion. That's powerful. He knows you. Turn to Psalm 139. Many of y'all know this passage, but now that you have the definitions in your mindset, I want you to read this passage thinking of no in Hebrew thinking of this, this beautiful, powerful, intimate, one-on-one, -on -one, guiltless, shame-free, laid-bare kind of knowing. That's what Psalm 39 is talking about. And a lot of people quote the part right where it says, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but we're going to go ahead, we're going to go before that. Because Psalm 139 uses the word know so well. O oh Lord, verse 1, you have searched me and known me. Yada. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down. You are intimately acquainted. There it is again. Different ways of saying no. With all of my ways. 
Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. Not just that he cognitively is like, yeah, I know what Sarah's going to say. No, I fully adore her. I approve her. I love her. I know what she's thinking even when she doesn't. I know what she's about to say. She is so approved by me. I know her. Keep going on in verse 4. We'll start in verse 5, actually. Thou hast, or you have enclosed me behind and before, hemming in. And you have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge, this is a different word. This is interesting. Such knowledge, now this is talking about the ability to understand something up here. So the author changes it, doesn't use a jaw here. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's so high, I can't attain it. Y'all, you realize being known by God is so much more transformative than focusing on how much you know him or not but living in the reality of I am known, I am chosen, I am fully known and widely loved. Just like that song says, by the Lord Jesus Christ in the triune God. Man, if we, if we just went through our day, in every aspect of our day, in parenting, in singleness, in Atlanta traffic, in all the atmospheres of our day, and our thought process, just before any other thing, was you experientially know me. You know every single nook and cranny of me, physically, relationally, spiritually. God, you know me. You approve of me. You adore me. And I don't have to do anything to keep it. I don't have to do anything to maintain it, to get it. It's just who you are. You are a God who is all-knowing, right? He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. He's all-knowing. That shouldn't scare you. It shouldn't produce fear. It should produce freedom. To be free, to live life known by God, it, it makes you free. And then you know what's powerful is when you think on, and we'll talk about his love tomorrow, but when you think on him knowing you, you know what it makes you want to do? Know him the same way. When you stop and go, Lord, you experience me, you, you love to discover me, to perceive me, to approve, to intimately acquaint yourself with me. Wow, Lord. And he's going, yeah, and I'm inviting you to do the same. You can know me that way. That's an invitation from God tonight. We're not talking about cognitive knowing. I'm not talking about going to church. That's part of, that's part of our, our, our walk with the Lord. But y'all, that's not knowing God. I'm not even talking about, well, I, man, I know a lot about the Bible, Sarah. I know a lot about this. You know who else knew a lot about the Bible? Yeah, who, who, what were they called? Yeah, the Pharisees. You know who they didn't know? They didn't know the living word at all. He was standing right in front of them. 
and they missed him entirely. Oh, but they, oh, hey, I, I know this. Man, you know, you shouldn't do this. And you shouldn't. But they missed the life, the word of God, the John 1, 1. He is inviting us to believe that he knows us intimately, loves us unconditionally, and he invites us to do that in return. To move us, ladies, from a transactional knowing, if you will, an English knowing. Oh, yeah, I know God. Yeah. I know he, he died for the sins of the world. I, I, I have I'm this denomination. I go to this church. I know God. I know, I know Psalm 23. I know. No, 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 no. Move it from English transactional to experiential, revelational Hebrew and Greek over here. Because that is what this is saying. There's so much more to experience in a relationship with Jesus. He knows you intimately. Now here's the other beautiful thing. Julie, God really, put this word on Julie's heart cherished. And he put the passage, Ephesians 3, on Julie's heart. The passage of Ephesians 3 has been in, in my heart for years. And God began to align that, and then this idea of this cherished just kept coming back, cherished. You know what's powerful? In the word cherish, you know, in English, that's different than saying love. Cherish brings a different emotion, does it not? I can say I love X, Y, Z all day long. All of a sudden I change it and I use the English word and I say, well, I cherish this. Whoa, that's, that's something different. Cherished has the idea of a prized possession, right? A treasure, something that is really known and really protected and just highly, highly loved. You cherish it. You know how similar the Hebrew and the Greek know is to that word in English? It's very similar. So therefore, God cherishes you. He treasures you. Regardless of what men have said, regardless of what you have said to yourself in the mirror, regardless if you don't think you're a, a possession worth being prized, doesn't matter. What matters is what the scripture says. And did you know the scripture uses the word cherish in relationship with Christ and the church? It doesn't use the word love. It uses the word cherish in particular in Ephesians 5. When it's talking about this idea of God and Christ cherishing the church. He could have used love there. He didn't. He used thalpo. Thalpo is the Greek word for cherish. Listen to this definition. It blew my mind. This is so powerful. Tender care, a brooding over to bring to life. Now, what I first thought of was chickens, honestly. Julie has chickens. What does a chicken do? What does a mommy chicken do to an egg that we eat for breakfast? She broods it, right? She sits on it. She cherishes it. In order to what? To not put it as a scrambled egg on my plate. To bring it to life. 
she sits and warms it, cherishes it, and brings it to life. That is how God knows you. That is what it is to be cherished by God is Sarah. Sometimes I'm going to suffocate you with my love. I'm going to discipline you. I'm going to sit on you. I'm going to brood over you. You're not allowed to have that. It's going to look like I don't love you. You don't know what I'm doing. But Sarah, I am cherishing you. You are my prized possession. And I know you intimately. I I experience you and all of who you are. You can't even grasp it yet. Trust me. Because when I do this and and why and, and how I cherish you, it's with the goal of bringing you to life. To flourish you to life. You realize God is the author of life, not death. He is all about life. And unfortunately, ladies, I think there's a lot of, dare I say, Christians or children of God that are not alive fully. Y'all remember the story about Lazarus, who was a really close friend to Jesus? He was the brother of Mary and Martha. And Lazarus died. Jesus knows all things, yes? So he knew this. But here's what's interesting. is He let him die, but he gets there, and what's powerful is, yes, he resurrects Lazarus. He comes out, but guess what? He doesn't come out free. He comes out of the tomb alive, and in this passage in the Gospels, it says a different command. Jesus says, Lazarus, come out, and he does, but he is still bound with grave clothes. He wasn't fully alive, stepped out of the tomb, but he wasn't free. There is a difference in being, I guess, focusing on how much you know about God and him knowing you and being alive in Christ, not just knowledgeable about the things of God. And Jesus looks in Lazarus' face and the people around, and he says, unbind him. Set him free. Two-part process to life. And I believe God, in the person of Jesus, wants to awaken you to life, to live fully and freely. And I think one of the only ways as women, as, as people, we can do that is to remove us from the subject of the sentence It is not about how much we love God. It is not about how much we know about God. It is about the fact that we are his chosen, that he knows us intimately and personally, and that he wants to brood over us. He cherishes us, and he wants to bring us to full life. And we'll talk a little bit more about the abundant life that he wants to give you tomorrow. So I want you to say this out loud. God knows me. Louder. God cherishes me. Some of you may not fully believe that yet. Because sometimes what we think is in order to believe it, we have to understand it. And that's not true. His love 
is so high, right? It's hard to even attain to. And at the same time, it's so near and so close. It's so available in this very moment. He yadas you. He epignoscoses you. He falpos you. He cherishes you. He longs to warm you in the places where you have gone cold. He longs to brood over you, to bring you to life. That is his promise. I want to give you three biblical imageries, if you will, of being known in this way by God and being cherished in this way by God. There's so many throughout the scripture, but these three popped into my mind, and I already gave you the first one in Ephesians 5.29, when this beautiful picture that Paul, who again, he wrote 60% of the New Testament, He's amazing. And we're going to just dive deeply into his prayer that he states, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 3 tomorrow. But he also writes in chapter 5 this this beautiful picture. And Paul was not married, by the way. But he writes this beautiful picture in Ephesians 5 of godly marriage. And that is where he sticks in this word. Cherishes. It says in in verse 29, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now again, I would be foolish to think that everybody's marriage in here is as God intended. Relationally, things down here are broken you realize that marriage is coming under siege in our culture, okay? But marriage was an institution God set up to display what? How he cherishes me. How he knows me intimately in every way. Marriage, godly divine marriage is a picture of us and him. And oh, how fragmented it has become down here. And that's why it's so vitally important to know what his word says when the world says something different. You know, the world also uses what I would call just cultural markers of identity that have never been up for grabs until apparently now. Okay, markers of identity, marital status, your occupation, your gender. Uh, I mean, just, just go down the line. All of that's just apparently up for grabs now. And God's going, no, it isn't. Nothing has changed about what I have said. But here's the true identity marker for us in this room. And I pray if you are not yet in the family of God that he will usher you into that place because the identity marker for us is I'm known and I'm cherished by the living God. And it trumps anything else the world says I am or anything else the world says doesn't exist or that I'm not. His word defines who we are. And we are known in this intimate way by him. The second picture beyond marriage, and that's a big one, and I love this one. This, I don't even know. This might even be my favorite one, and we see it throughout Scripture, is that of a shepherd and a sheep. 
It's a beautiful picture of knowing intimately. If I could dissect for you Psalm 23, it would blow your mind at the, just the, the amazing attentiveness a shepherd is and has to a sheep. Isaiah 40. Let's go there for a second. Turn to Isaiah 40. Listen, listen to, and just to hear if you see, if you hear those words of cherish, if you hear this yada type phrasing, or, or do you just hear it as this is very cognitive, this is very transactional. God knows me, I know him, I do the right thing, he blesses me. I do the wrong thing, he beats me over the head. That is not Christianity. There is a tenderness here. There is a cherishing here. There is, yes, a reverence to the living God, absolutely, but there is a familiarity and a nearness to him when he is saying, I know you the way Adam knew Eve. That is intimate. That is vulnerable. That is like, I'm not sure I want you to know me that way. And he goes, I don't care. I know you that way. And I love you. And my plans for you are to bring you to full life. And so in this picture, hear with me the tone of Isaiah 40. And you tell me if you hear just how God knows you and cherishes you. Like a shepherd, he, capital H, there it is, Jesus, he will tend to his flock. Well, tend is very similar to cherish, to tend something, right? You tend a garden if you're any good. If you're not any good, you're not going to tend your garden. If you don't tend your garden, nothing's going to happen. He tends, he cares for, he's intimately focused on his flock. And it goes on, it says, In his arm he will gather the lambs. Y'all, that's intimate language. That's hug language for you physical touchers out there. It's not here. It's not mental, cognitive, transactional. Yes, I know God, Sarah. What more is there? Oh, there's so much. It goes on to say, and I carry them in my bosom. We all have those, right? Where, where are they located? Where your heart is where the center of your being is that gives you life and pumps your blood, that's where he wants to carry you. He doesn't want you to go far from that place. He will gently lead the nursing use. What a picture of care, of tenderness, of cherishing, knowing. Not English knowing, Hebrew knowing intimate, experiential, in the grit of it all kind of knowing. And there's a gentleness to that. And that leads me to the other one I thought about with sheep was obviously Psalm 23, written by David. And, and there's just six verses that are so powerful. When you read Psalm 23, much of it is read at funerals. But you know how much life is held in the six verses of Psalm 23 that shows and proves God longs to be known so intimately and he knows his sheep so intimately. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, when you believe you're known by God and you really believe it, not, not just, I mean, I think, yeah, of course, of course I know my God. No, 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 no. 
you fully receive it. Remember 2 Thessalonians 2.13, you receive it and believe it as what it is, his word. When you know that he is your shepherd, you don't have wants. That's a powerful statement. It's another talk for another day, but that's a powerful statement. To the woman who knows she's known, she will have nothing unmet. To the woman who knows she's known, there will be nothing unmet. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Y'all, that's, that's a picture of cherishing. Right? He, he guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In the presence of my enemies, you prepare a table for me. You're constantly caring for me. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Fullness. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That was written by someone who knows he was known. Shepherd tending the flock. All of us could be a flock, but just one, just one is just as important to the shepherd as them all. He knows you by name every single one of you. There's many of us in here with the same name, but he knows us all. There's a few Sarahs in here. There's a few Karens in here. He knows everything about you that sets you apart from somebody else, intimately knows you. Julie referenced Hagar. She is one of my favorite, well, that story in Genesis 16 is one of my favorite references, passages to sit in when I am feeling unknown, unseen. And I love it that God comes to her in a wilderness place and he meets her with these words that are like balm. They heal her. Nothing in her circumstance actually changed. And if you read that story, you know what he actually tells her to do? To go back to Sarah, who I was named after, this was kind of in her bad days, to go back to her and submit, her, submit herself, submit Hagar's self underneath Sarah. But everything about Hagar's perspective changed in that encounter. Why? Because it's what Julie said. The living God saw her. He took notice. He adored her. He thalpoed her. He saw her. He cherished her. He picked her out. And in fact, he told her the whole scenario. He even said, you're pregnant right now with a little boy. And I'm going to tell you his name. You know what his name is going to be? Ishmael. You know what Ishmael means? God hears you. And there she is weeping, going, nobody hears me. Nobody sees me. I'm a maid. I work for everybody else. And he's going, oh, but I see you. And then she looks at him and she says, how is it that I am still alive? 
and I have been seen by the living God. You know what Hagar was thinking on? Y'all, she didn't know who he was. Hagar, she was of a different nationality, okay? She was not a chosen person of God. You know what she thought on in that moment? He knows me, and that changes everything. And now I will go back, and I will submit to Sarah. Circumstantially, nothing changed for her, and yet everything transformed for her because of who she met and what she believed that meeting meant. I'm known, I'm cherished, I'm seen. And that's Elroy, it's God's name. She named that well, Bir Hala Elroy, still there. Well, now it may not be there, but it was years ago when I went. Elroy, the living one who sees me. The other kind of picture, biblical imagery, ironically, that I want to share with you is Sarah. Sarah, the very one who hurt and harmed and was mistreated, Hagar. The very one who laughed in God's face, mocked him saying, you've got to be kidding me that I'm going to have a son, that I'm going to have a baby when I'm as old as I am. Who do you think you are? And she was a Jew. She knew better. And she said, there's no way. There is no way that you could be that all-knowing, that intimately aware, and give me a baby in my old age. And she laughed in his face. She didn't believe. Y'all, I think some of the greatest places the enemy can keep a woman is not believing God at his word. Straight from the garden. Eve didn't fully believe God at his word. She added something to it, the enemy kind of twisted it, and then she kind of forgot, and was like, well, I'm not supposed to touch it or eat it or look at it. Or... She didn't believe God at his word. And Sarah initially just said, I don't believe you at your word. Tonight I am telling you his word says he knows you, everything about you. Your sin, your bad decisions, your victories, your losses, your tears that no one knows you've cried, he knows it all. And he adores you. And he calls you by name. And you know what's powerful? Sarah did not deserve a baby. She didn't earn it. If anything, she laughed in the face of God. Y'all know what Isaac means, right? Laughter. I mean, God had her name, her son. Laughter. Because there was another laughter that happened. Genesis 21.1, God says this, and because I'm named Sarah, I have just so loved and attached myself to this verse. In spite of all of her planning, all of her manipulating, really, you know what Genesis 21.1 says? God took note of Sarah. And he did for Sarah all that he had promised her he would do. 
Because you see, it's not contingent on our behavior. It's not contingent on whether we earn it or whether we know enough to understand it and to gain it. It's not contingent. Him knowing us, ladies, him cherishing us, him loving you that we're going to just take apart in such depth tomorrow is not contingent on you. It's always been him. He's the alpha and the omega. It starts with him it ends with him. And he said, I made a promise to you and I will fulfill it. Regardless if you laugh at me or not, I made a promise. I'm the promise keep maker and I'm the promise keeper. And I love that it used those two words, took note. He saw her. He knew underneath Sarah's laughter, there was shame that she couldn't have a baby. There was hurt. There was doubt underneath the laughter. I want to believe you, but I don't know how. And if I don't believe you enough, then maybe you won't be good on your word. Maybe you really won't come through. And I'm scared to believe you with all that I am. He's worthy to believe. He loves you and he cherishes you and he will make good on every promise. Not everything you get, you want. Not everything you want, you get. It's his word that he makes good on. And then David, another kind of picture, he, he wrote Psalm 23, he wrote many of the Psalms, he was a shepherd himself, so that's why that passage is so, so precious, because he knew what it was to cherish a sheep, and he knew what it was to be cherished by the shepherd, he knew both. And he writes this in Psalm 40, verse 2, he lifted me out of the pit of despair. Y'all, that's, that's color TV language. That's not... Yep, I know God. He knows me. I'm a Baptist. I, came, I you know, became saved. I walked an aisle. Y'all, it's so much more. He pulled me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire, and he set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Psalm 40, verse 2. That is someone who knows he's known. Oh man, when you know God that way and when you believe he knows you in all of your pits, in all of your despair, it, it just changes everything. Focusing on him knowing us is what I want to challenge you to sit in. God, you experience me. You want to discover me to me. You, you want to make me known. Y'all, he knows so much about us. He knows who we're going to be. He knows who we've been. He knows who we are. There's a verse in John 17, 3 that says this, this is eternal life. It's about to define it. This is eternal life. Now, honestly, I would have thought heaven would be somewhere in this sentence. It's nowhere in there. You know what eternal life is according to John 17:3? This is eternal life that you may know me. That you may know him whom was sent. Y'all, there's an invitation tonight. There's a there's a call to believe the truth that you are known 
you are so intimately and widely and experientially known by God that there's an invitation to know him that way. Laid bare, naked kind of knowing, if you will. Everything on the table, his agenda, his heartbeat open to you, yours to him, that is the Christian life. To live in being known. And some of you tonight, maybe you're not sure if he's worth knowing, if he's worth following, if he's worth obeying, that's okay. But he knows that you're worth dying for, you're worth choosing, you're worth pursuing, and he would do it all again, whether or not you believe it to be true. It is true. And what's so powerful is that some of you in here may need to sit with that thought of who is Jesus to me and who am I to him for the very first time? Some of you in here, maybe many of us in here, oh, we know him. We know him intimately. He called us by name maybe when we were little and we've walked with him, we've journeyed with him, but maybe somewhere over time, the passion, the awe of being known by the living God was lost. Christianity can get real busy real quick and real activity-driven, and everything about God knowing us and us knowing him has nothing to do with what we do for him, has nothing to do with activity, and everything to do with intimacy. Adam knew Eve. Same word used as Jeremiah, when God the Father said, before you were in your mother's womb, I knew you. I knew you like that, and I want to know you like that, and I want you to know me like that. That makes life worth living. Not just checking a box that you believe something transactionally, but you believe it experientially. Listen to this quote. This is so powerful by Charles Spurgeon. I am bold to tell you that my master's riches of grace are so unsearchable that he not only knows you greatly but delights to forgive you deeply and forget your sin entirely because of Christ's payment on the cross. The bigger the sin, the more glory to his saving grace. If you are over your head and ears in debt, he is rich enough to discharge your liabilities, to know your frailties, to transform your eternity making all things brand new. So even now, if you are at the very gates of hell, sitting in darkness, he is able to pluck you from the jaws of destruction and bring you into his glorious light because of his all-knowing, all-choosing, all-sufficient love. The gospel really, is he knows you and longs for you to know him through that finished work at the cross in this experiential, personal way, not an informational way. I don't know if many of y'all know the, the Chronicle of Narnia series, right? C.S. Lewis, amazing author, 
And in this series, right, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe gets all the, the flag. I mean, that's just what the movie was made about. It's, it's the, one of the best ones. But there's one, two or three down in the series called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And there's an amazing exchange that happens. Trinity, Julie's daughter's probably read it. She's an amazing reader. But there's this amazing trans, this, this transaction, this conversation that happens between one of the characters, Eustace, and one of the main characters over here, Edmund. And Edmund is one of the four children. He's one of the heirs to the throne of Caraparavel. It's, it's a beautiful allegory. It's a beautiful word picture of Christianity, really. And in this, this exchange, this conversation between Eustace and Edmund, Eustace goes, he says this, he said, Who is Aslan and do you know him? Now, Aslan is the picture of Jesus in this whole entire series, but he's a lion. And it's Edmund's response that stopped me in my tracks. Because he did know him. He intimately knew him. He'd been chosen by him. They'd fought battles together at this point. We're three books in, right? He knew him. But here's what he said. He said, well, he knows me. And he is the lion who saved me and will save Narnia. He was known, Edmund, by the fact that God knew him. Aslan knows me. Perspective shifter in every way. And as we dive in tomorrow, we're going to look at Paul's prayer. And Paul uses this Greek word for no a couple different times in his prayer where he is praying that we would come to know what is almost unknowable, the love of God, the cherishing of God. And so as we end tonight and we break for dessert fellowship, what I would like to do is I would like to read over you Ephesians 3 in Paul's prayer. And I want you to sit in this knowing now, see I told you I was going to say no a lot, knowing now the definition of some of these words. Listen to the language in Paul's prayer. Now let me tell you, if y'all have ever done a study on prayer, Paul Okay, this is not a bailout in the parking lot kind of prayer. This was not a help me get an A on the test. This was not, nothing wrong with those prayers. But y'all, Ephesians 3 is a prayer, okay, if you know what I'm talking about. He uses verbs and language in there that is so powerful. And this is the man inspired by the Holy Spirit that wrote 60% of the New Testament. I kind of want to know what he's going to pray. Listen to what he prays. And what he is praying is over you. The Gentiles, not just the, the Jews, it's for us. That's the powerful picture of Ephesians, is that Christ has no longer been a mystery to us. He's an identity in us. This is Paul's message, and here's what he prays that we are going to look in depth at tomorrow. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, for this reason, the whole entire book of of Ephesians before, three chapters prior. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And here's his request. That he would grant you, 
according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ, here's the so that, so all of that, so that, verse 17, Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And to know, there it is, the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. See, there's the transition. He wants you to experientially know something beyond what you cognitively think you understand. So that, goes on in verse 19, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we can ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in all the church and in Christ Jesus for all generations forever and ever. Amen. That is not only a prayer request, but it is a reality that we can walk in when we fully believe his word is true, that he wants us to know him in the same way he knows us. Intimate, personal, name on name, eyeball to eyeball, skin to skin, intimate knowing. So, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would rise up a faith in the women in this room and to anyone listening that would believe your word to be true, that we are known and valued and treasured, cherished by you. And, oh, God, you want us to know you in that way to treasure you, to cherish you, to esteem you as the highest value in our lives. Jesus, would you flip the switch? Would you change the perspective and let us think on your love and your knowing of us more than anything else? And then let these women walk out of here confident, full, known and cherished because you said so. In Jesus Christ's powerful name, amen. We will dive deeply tomorrow into Ephesians 3, and we're going to break it apart. Loved, filled, and able. And y'all can leave room in your journals, but get ready to go all over the place in Scripture tomorrow. The ladies that I teach hear this all the time, but Psalm 139 was a game changer for me. Once I knew that, without a shadow of a doubt, that I was known by God, it changed everything for me. I was secure where I wasn't before. Again, it changed my entire life.
entire life. So I, I, they have to hear that all the time. They have to hear Psalm 139 probably every time that they're with me. <laughs> so the, um, thank you, Sarah. That was wonderful. The sweetest part of the evening has arrived. <laughs> yes, yes. For those of you who have indicated that you are gluten-free, the gluten-free table is to my left. Do you see it? Look over there. Glorious. Okay. But I want you to know that I have assigned an unmarked gluten-free policeman. And if you wander over there and you do not bear the gluten-free mark on your tag, you're going to wear a scarlet G on your outfit for the rest of the conference. Okay. Okay. So, seriously, please reserve those items for our ladies who cannot eat all that other glorious food because your table is twice as big. I mean, come on now. I mean, really. <laughs> so, um, we are going to pray that God will change the molecular structure of those items into carrots. Um, I don't know if that will happen, so I'm just saying, um, but we are going to do that. But um, don't forget to visit the vendor tables. Again, there's a lot of things over there um, that are absolutely wonderful that you need to see. Um, and again, we have set some time apart for you tonight to fellowship, to hang out, to spend some quality time together, because that's some of your love languages, right? And you don't get to get away. You may have kids pulling at you all the time or people to take care of or whatever. So I want you to spend some quality time together. Um, again, and stay as long as you want. And I will see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Sharp. Sharp. Got it? I'm going to be standing here at 9 a.m., so I'm going to see you coming in the door <laughs> at 9.01, okay? Don't think I can't see you because I'm up here. For some reason, they think the speaker can't see them. Okay. <laughs> All right, so let me pray. God, we thank you so, so very much for your word. It is alive and living and powerful, and it reaches into the depths of our heart. It sees past every facade, <laughs> everything that we project on the outside. And it wells up in us, Lord, and it causes us to desire you, and it changes us. So again, Lord, we just thank you for bringing forth your word with power. So Lord, we ask that you would bless this time of fellowship. I pray that each woman would connect deeply with those at her table and beyond. Lord, that new friendships would be formed deep and intimate friendships. Again, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the dessert and the hands that prepared it. We love you so very much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.